Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in and all. This is God's word. John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God, not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He set one and his only son into the world that he might live through him. This is his love, not that we love God, but that we loved us, and sent his son an untaunting sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one who has ever seen God, but if love on another, God lives in us and lives made completely in us. This is God's word. Uh, so recently I went to the movies, uh, as most teenagers do, and I saw this movie called Silence. It was this movie directed by Martin Scorsese, and it tells the story of two uh, Catholic priests who go into Japan to discover what happened to a fallen priest that they know nothing about. The story follows these two priests as they go and fight the persecution that the government is uh, threatening the people who are Christians there with and trying to find this lost priest. There are a few scenes in this movie that just gave me the chills and reminded me of God's deep and unfathomable love for us. The main character, Father Rodriguez, is tested many times in the story, but the one person that tests him the most is this man named Kajaro. You see, Kajaro was this Japanese man who had a faith in God, but lacked enough faith to go through the hardships of following him. Kajaro betrays the father on multiple occasions, even ultimately handing him over to the enemies for a few simple coins. In the Catholic faith, the father, fa- father has the power to forgive, and all the Japanese Christians go there, go to the fathers to ask for forgiveness. So naturally, this man who keeps betraying his father keeps going back to ask for forgiveness. Um, about after the third time of betraying him and asking for forgiveness, the father begins to question whether or not he is willing to betray the, or to forgive this man. Um, but in the end, he continues, and uh, his love that he shows to Kajaro ultimately leads to him having a more uh, devout faith as a Christian and following him to death. Uh, This love that the priest shows the lackluster friend doles in comparison to the love that Jesus has for us. A strong, everlasting love, and he doesn't care if you treat him right or not. 
Love means many things to us as Christians, but um, here are a few meanings that the world views them as, and these are their Greek names. There's phileo, a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Eros, an attraction based on sexual desires. And agape, an unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. Out of the three definitions I read, agape spoke to me the most as being the love that God shows us. I can only speak for myself, and I know at times I can be selfish, unfaithful, cruel, dishonest, and mean. I'm ashamed of the things I've thought, of the actions I've done, and the people I have hurt. And the craziest thing of all is that after all these things I've done, and God knowing all of them, He still loves me. He never leaves. He never says, I've given you just enough chances to succeed, but you still failed me, and I will not forgive you anymore. It is quite the opposite. I imagine he says something like this. You have failed me yet again. However, because I love you and see the success that you have in your future, I will forgive you and I will never forsake you. Here are a few verses that show me the kind of love that God has for us. Most of us have heard these before, but I ask that we look at this in a new light, realizing that this is the love God shines for us and the love that we should shine for others. The first one is 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. through It reads, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Luke six thirty-five. But love your enemy, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the child of the Most High God, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. 1 John four sixteen, and, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39 Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These four verses are a great indicator of how important love should be for us and how important it is for God. He wants us to live a life that shines God's love to everybody we meet. If we are simply just Christians and live through the motions of life, we are not shining for God. I know that sometimes I'll ask myself, how can I be forgiven by God for what I've done? In the same manner, we should strive to live a life where people ask us, how can he or she care for us this much that they're willing to forgive us even though we've hurt them this much? God's love has no boundaries, no stipulations. It has no limits. Our love for each other should have none of those either. I challenge all of us, including myself, to evaluate what loving your neighbor as yourself really looks like. Living a life of love might be hard at first, but I believe that living a life of love makes everything easier in the end. What does that mean for us? It means forgiving the person across this very auditorium who you feel betrayed your trust a long time ago. It means going out of your comfort zone and making everybody feel welcomed, rather you know them or not, or rather you like them or not. It means looking through the bulletins and the prayer request and praying and connecting with the people who are reaching out to ask for help from us. 
It means that when you're driving on the roads, not to freak out when somebody cuts in front of you because it really doesn't matter in the end. It means that when you're at work, showing compassion to your inferiors and working wholeheartedly for your superiors. It means at home, not waiting to be asked to do chores, but to do them because you love your family and you want to do what's best for them. This task of loving people like ourselves is not easy, nor natural for us to fill. But if we work at it every day, I believe we can create a tighter community of Christians, a group of followers who genuinely love each other and show that love to their communities. We should never have to tell somebody we know that we are Christians, but should be asked, why are you the way that you are? And what makes you so kind, compassionate, considerate, and caring to others? Love is something everybody wants, no matter race, religion, or anything else. Our love should bring people to the one and only God who loved us first. As we go through this week, remember, our mission as Christians is to love everybody unconditionally, as God showed us his unconditional love first. Thank you. I'll be reading from John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is God's word. I'll be reading from Acts, 2, chap- Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Good evening. I'm Joel Darla. In a recent book I read, the story of a girl named Kelly came up. She was a high school senior and the captain of the cheer team. One fall from the pyramid and she broke her hip and leg. During her six weeks in rehab, Kelly missed classes, finals, and the long-awaited prom. But without her asking, Kelly's friends went to visit her, sharing notes, talking, or just spending the day with her. They even spent their own prom with her instead of going to the school's dance. Can you remember something like that happening to you? John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Matthew 5, 43 through 44. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Proverbs 29:11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. But what do these verses mean in our life? You could think these words were written thousands of years ago; they don't apply now. 
What about the guy next to you that made that rude joke? Do you love them the same way that you love the person who held the door? The lady who gave you the extra coupon at the store? To control anger, to control hatred, is a practice of self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus. Love, in its purest, most patient form, is how Christians are to live. God himself, out of love, sent Jesus. If man loved like that, what would the world look like? Thank you. Let's stand. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever man will say, I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives, but Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along my narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see His loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blasts. The day of His appearing will come at last. He lives, He lives, for Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along my narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to
I'm going to start off tonight by reading uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I know you all heard before, but just something to keep in perspective with the, the talk, uh, which reads in Luke chapter 10, verses 37. Uh, and this is in to reply from one of the experts in the law who just asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And it reads, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In the verse which was just read, Jesus defines your neighbor as the person who acted in love or mercy. To me, this means that my neighbor could be anyone. Could be someone at school or a coworker, someone you don't even know. Um, but sadly, for me, at least, not everyone is my neighbor. It's not everyone I, I have trouble loving and having mercy on everyone. But um, something that we all need to work on. Uh, I work at a fast food restaurant and run into some unhappy people sometimes. People that are hard to love and hard to have mercy on. But um, I can definitely recall times where I could have or should have had mercy on those people. And, um, and I didn't, as a, as a neighbor to them, I didn't. Um, this is why as believers, we need to be neighbors. We need to act in love and mercy. And Matthew 22, chapter 37 through 40 says, this may sound familiar. <laughs> Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This verse doesn't just apply to neighbors or people who act in love and mercy. It applies to everyone. So we need to be neighbors to our neighbors and to people who aren't. I remember this one time when a customer came through the drive-thru and as he was waiting for his food, I started a conversation with him. And during that conversation, I learned that his son was actually recovering from a surgery on his lung. I think his, his lung collapsed or something like that. And I was surprised at first. I would never guess from the way the man was acting that that, that had just happened to his son. So I, I felt kind of helpless when he told me that. And I expressed how sorry I was for him, but still felt like there wasn't much I could do other than in his food and say, hope he gets well soon and, and pray for him. And um, before he left him on a co-workers, he had the idea to just put a cookie in the bag, which isn't much, especially when it um, compared to the Good Samaritan. But... A little acts of love are better than none. So after that event took place, I find that we need to be looking for ways we can act in love, even if they are small and may seem unimportant, but little acts of love, again, are better than none. So in conclusion, we are called to act um, in love and mercy towards everyone because God loves everyone more than a parent loves his or her child. In fact, he loves everyone so much that he gave his own son to die for us. Ephesians 
James 4, verses 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. But it may benefit those who listen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate for one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ Jesus forgave you. This is God's word. Good evening. Um, when I was younger, and actually not too much younger, maybe it still happens to this day, um, it seemed like your parents were just out to get you. And um, maybe they wouldn't let you go to a kid's birthday party or let you stay up and watch another episode of TV. And me being myself, as a kid, and even now, I'd get upset and get a little angry at them. I'd storm up to my room, stomping on the ground, which, that can be kind of loud, and um, mumbling under my breath, which, still to this day, I, have, I struggle with, and it doesn't ever work out well. And um, I'd stay mad at them for the rest of the day, and I'd end up falling asleep, and I'd wake up, and I remember I wouldn't be mad when I woke up. Um, but then a few days, I'd remember I was mad at something, but I couldn't even remember what. And I just tried to be mad at them. And I just keep telling myself, I was like, I'm mad at them, but I don't know why. And um, eventually, I ended up forgiving my parents and uh, I'm not being mad anymore. But how could I still be mad at them? Because they do so much for me. The only answer I have to that is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. And it says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. I thank God every day for helping me to become more patient and have the ability to forgive. I still have a long way to go myself. I'm still one of the most stubborn people I know. But over time, God helped me because that's what I know that our loving Father does. Like I said earlier, forgiveness comes from God. He is the ultimate example of forgiving us sinners. We don't deserve any of his love, mercy, or forgiveness. A prime example of God forgiving his people is found in the book of Judges. Time and time again, it says the Israelites did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord. And go one chapter over and it says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just story after story of this happening, the Israelites leaving God, coming back to him again and again. I don't know how he does it. God's ability to forgive us is really a miracle of its own. Since God forgives us, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to forgive others. In Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother. And he answers his own question, saying, up to seven times. And Jesus replies, not seven, but seventy. He then begins to tell a parable where a king wants to settle his accounts with all his servants. One man owed the king ten thousand bags of gold. Since his servant was not able to repay his debt, which I don't know if anyone really could pay back ten thousand bags of gold, um, he and his family would be sold into slavery. And when the servant heard this, he begged and begged the king. The king eventually took pity on him and canceled the debts. As soon as the servant released, was released, he went out and found one of his servants that owed him only 100 silver coins. He began to choke him and demanded that he repay him. The servant asked for forgiveness just as the king's servant did, but he refused and had the man who once again only owed 100 silver coins thrown into jail. Word got out that the king and the king brought the servant in and questioned him as to why he didn't show mercy on his fellow servant just as the king did to him. He got so angry that he threw the servant in jail to be tortured. Jesus then says at the end of that parable in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
Another famous example of forgiveness is Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion. He knows his time is almost over, and he knows what he's about to go through, and that we put him on that cross. Right before he is about to give us his life for us sinners, he says the most amazing and beautiful line. In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus states, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's breathtaking, really, that he can forgive someone, us, while we put him up there to die. We should try to forgive everyone. Maybe recently someone has hurt you, maybe talked bad behind your back, and you overheard them. As it states in Ephesians 4, verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Maybe tonight you're struggling with forgiveness. At the singing of this next song, we'll have elders at the front that would love to talk to you. Or maybe tonight you're ready to renew yourself and take Christ on in baptism. If this is you, don't hesitate as we come and stand and sing. I will call upon the Lord who 